invite you tonight to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 21. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 21, we'll begin in verse number 34. Our life song, staying fit, remaining a champion for the kingdom, giving praise and adoration. We who were once dead have found life in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Thank you, brother. Thank you, choir, instrumentalist. If you would stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word tonight, Luke chapter 21, verse number 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Father, we come before you tonight thanking you for this day that you have given us. It is a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. For it is a day of deliverance, a day of salvation. And Lord, we do want to have our life song just sing out unto you with passion and praise. For we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, your own peculiar people, O God, who has been set apart to declare the praises of you. And we give you glory in this place tonight. And we ask at this time, at this moment, in this hour, as we open the very word of God, that you would communicate to us tonight in such a way that our hearts will be stirred a flame will be kindled, and that, O oh God, you would keep us fit before the very throne of heaven, that we can stand for you in these days in the power of the name of Jesus. Fortune, these things I pray and ask tonight in Jesus' name. One of the most fundamental things as a believer, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, is remaining fit to be used by the Lord, to be a vessel of His mercy that the Lord would take great delight and pleasure in using our lives to manifest His glory. There are times in the life of a believer that we can literally bind ourselves and restrict ourselves, limit ourselves in kingdom work because we become friends or fond of a world that's around us. James chapter number 4 says it like this, he who wills to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now I want to ask you tonight, what do we do with enemies of our society? 
What do we do with those who are an enemy of our society? We normally will take them and put them in bonds or put them behind bars to protect them and protect society because they are an enemy or a threat to the civil liberties of the people of a community or a nation. So we we bind them, we restrict them. Now let me ask you this question. Is that prisoner, that man that's incarcerated, he looks the same, he speaks the same, the only difference with him, he no longer walks the same. It's kind of hard to walk. Have you ever seen a chain gang before? you ever seen a guy going to the courthouse that had shackles on his feet and how he shuffles like this when he's walking because he's limited and he's been restricted? They've restricted his ability so that he can't get away, so they won't be a harm to society. I want to tell you in here tonight that when we, as the people of God, and we can do this, we could become friends or fond, that phileo love that I mentioned the other morning, that kind of love that you just have a natural affection for. The book of James says that when we have that type of love, even desiring to be friends, you don't have to be a friend with the world, just design willing to be a friend with the world, we automatically become an enemy to the things of God. And the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but gives more grace to who? To the humble. The word resist over in James, I know we're not there and I know you're not looking at it, but I'm just building into where we're going here tonight in this passage. The word resist means to stand in opposition to or to stand in battle ray against. It's opposing armies that are standing in battle against one another because they oppose one another's views. And there are times in the lives of God's people, your life and my life, that there are times when God stands in opposition to us because we have made ourselves friends with a world that He is hostile toward, yet loves, yet provided a way of redemption for. The Bible says that God is still angry with the sinner every day. Amen? Now, He has provided the redeeming work or the atoning satisfaction, the propitiation that satisfies the wrath of God And I've already mentioned that positionally in Christ, I can no more be righteous in the future, even in heaven, than I will be in Christ Jesus this very moment. Amen? That's a great, that's a, that's a great promise to know that we are as right with God tonight as we will ever be right with Him because of the sufficiency of the life work and the ministry of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad about the blood of Jesus? Amen. The Scripture says that we are justified in the blood of Jesus from all things, declared legally just and right, as Acts 13 would say, as the Apostle Paul was preaching. But there are times practically, as we walk about in this old earth we live in, we are not practicing what we are in principle, in position, and we can literally bind ourselves. Do you know there's some churches as a whole that have bound themselves and restricted the power of God upon a church 
because the church has gotten too friendly with its culture and an environment around it. Now, the church needs to be winsome, amen? But I want to promise you this, the gospel always wounds the sinner before it ever wins him. Listen to me. The gospel wounds the heart of the sinner. It's not the problem with the sin that the sinner is doing. The problem is with the sinner himself. The Bible says that the sinner, he who is still perishing and lost in his sins, is the, is the issue. He's the problem. When his heart is changed, the actions of his life are changed. Amen? And that's why I'm so thankful that the book of Zephaniah says that God goes beyond our iniquities beyond our transgressions, and he deals with the issue of our heart, the iniquities of our heart. Folks, when it all comes down to it, we are the problem, amen? But I'm thankful that God goes beyond what I've done in my life, goes beyond that, and he deals with the core issue he deals with me. But even though he has dealt with me already, and I am his and he is mine, Nick Holden can at times make himself an enemy to the throne or to the work of the kingdom of God. And what is my desire and what is the desire that I have for you at East Philadelphia Baptist Church or whatever church you represent or where you are as an individual, where you are as a family and where you are corporately as the body of Christ. Folks, we need to stand fit before the throne of God tonight that God would manifest His glory through our lives. Amen? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus was saying about a future day. A future day that he is warning the people of God about. And I believe the Word of God is living, alive, and it's active and relative and applicable for our lives today. And I want, to, I want to glean some principles from this thought process of remaining fit or well-deserving before the throne of God. Notice what he says in verse number 34. And take heed to... Yourselves. The idea of taking heed to ourselves means that we are responsible and therefore accountable to pay attention to where we are in life. Take heed to yourselves. Pay attention to where you are. Pay attention to what you're thinking about. Pay attention to where you're walking and where you're living because we, we've learned that over time, we know that the days will continue to wax worse and worse. Amen? Some of you in here are up in age. I believe we've got some in here tonight that are above the age of 90 in this place. And I'm willing to say from the times of your childhood, now sin has always been here from the very beginning. But I'm willing to say that you could bear testimony in this place tonight and give evidence that the things that go on in Neshoba County and Lauderdale County and Newton County and whatever county you in or whatever parish you belong to in the state of Louisiana, that sin and the people in the world today are continually waxing worse and worse. It's a big snowball and our society is getting worse. Can you testify? And what we have to guard ourselves from and what we have to pay attention to in our life is not being overwhelmed with the society that we live in and the things that are going on in it to the point that it begins to affect us to the point that we become unfit to be used by the Lord to have an impact on the society we live in. 
pay attention to yourselves. Leave at any time your hearts be overcharged. The word overcharged means to be weighed down with a great load. A load that you're not able to bear because you have taken on the affections of the things that you're beholding and the things that you're looking at and you're not resting. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be overcharged. And he says three things with surfeiting. Now some translations use the word carousing. But the idea of the word is the, is the, is the meaning of the results of surfeiting or carousing, which is sickness. Now, if you're like me, and I don't say this giving glory to the enemy or glorying in my shame, but if you're probably like me, some of you, now some of you were raised much better than I was and kept from a lot of things, but some of you in here have had a hangover before. If you had a hangover before, raise your hand. Good, I'm not by myself, amen. When you have a hangover from alcohol poisoning is what it is, have you ever had a headache after that? Well, this word carousing or surfeiting for hanging out late at night, doing that which is walking in the darkness and not doing that which is walking in the light, poisoning our mind and our bodies. Now listen to me, this is the word. You, you have a headache, you're sick in the head and sick in the stomach. So the point is, is that there's been something that's happened that caused you to be sick over. And what Jesus is teaching us in this passage is that don't be overcharged with the carousing of the culture around you to the point that what is going on in the culture makes your heart sick and you become ineffective. For an example, how many of you like watching the news? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying in here. Some of you don't go to bed until you watch the evening news. Amen? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Do you recall when Job was living in his day, there was something going on in the heavenlies and the Satan presented himself before the throne of God and there was a question issued. Had you considered my servant Job? And what was Satan's response to that? Those that may know, what did he say? How can it? You've got a hedge of protection around it. And God says, well, I'm going to remove that hedge of protection around him, and you can go down and take what he has. You just cannot touch him. Now, what did Satan do? He jumped on that like a bandwagon and went down there. And what did he take away from Job? He took away his family. He took away his flocks. He took away his resources. He took away his wife. All these things, his friends come against him. But I want you to recall with me, just think for a moment. Each time something happened to Job's material possessions and his family, there was always one person that remained alive so that he can go back and tell Job what happened. You know what I call those people? They're messengers of misery. Do you know any? Do you think that Satan could not have, within God's providence, killed them as well? The only 
reason they lived was to go back and tell Job of the destruction that was going on around him to bring a message of misery. Where did these messengers go after they told Job? These were his loyal servants that worked for him. We don't find them no more, do we? They come back and tell Job what was going on and give this message of misery and then they hit the road and go find somebody else to work for. I want to tell you here tonight, Fox News, CNN News, whatever news it may be, they make their living by declaring messages of misery, folks. And if that is what you're listening to and what's going on and you're listening to all that's going on around the world, we are told that these things are going to happen. But if I let it affect me to the point that I get a bitter spirit and I get to the place that I can't be affected before the throne of God because I'm listening to the messengers of misery who cannot help me. How many times has Fox News come to your help and visited you after they reported bad news to you and come to your home and ministered you and comforted you and told you all the good that is going on around the world? How many times has CNN News or Channel 4, whatever news it may be, or whatever newspaper you're picking up reading, or whatever internet sites that you're reading, there are messengers of misery all over. And the intent and the purpose of these people is the enemy will use them to bring about a headache and a stomach ache of all the problems that are going around the world. Have you ever been there before? Be honest with me. Now, the Lord is wanting to guard us. He's wanting to teach us how to guard ourselves. Well, let's step aside from the news. How many of you got a friend that likes to call you up and tell you all the problems going on in the community? We call them what? Gossips, right? Boy, gossip can get around a community like that. But you hardly ever hear when somebody comes on the altar of God and cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ and God radically changed their life, why do people not pick up the phone and call the rest of the community and the rest of the churches and the rest of the brethren and call them and say, look, man, God moved in our midst today. He spoke to our heart. He hopefully converted them and changed them. And we're just watching to see fruit come off of their life. We're looking to see fruit worthy of repentance. How many of you ever got a phone call like that or get them regularly? Oh, but you let somebody get upset in the church, you'll hear about it quick, amen? Come on. Messengers. Now you're saying, Brother Nick, you're getting personal here. You're talking about me now. You know, you may be one of those messengers of misery too. And if you're a messenger of misery, I'm telling you right now, you're not fit to run before the Lord. You're not fit to stand before God and represent Him in this world. And you've bound yourself. You look the same, you talk the same, but you have no, you, you're limited in your walk. You can't walk in overcoming victory through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, we don't fight for victory, folks. We fight from victory. Victory's already been won, amen? We just need to tell the world about it and encourage our brethren in the victory. But if we pay attention to these messengers of misery, It'll make your heart sick. It'll give you a headache. It'll burden you down. Not only that, though, what's the next word he used? Look in your text. I believe he says not only surfeiting, but drunkenness. 
literally, the, the Greek word is intoxication. The Bible teaches us that we're not to be drunk as unto wine, which is dissipation, uselessness, but to be filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart unto the Lord. There's a difference between being influenced and controlled by the Spirit and being intoxicated with wine. Being influenced by the Holy Spirit is a good, healthy blessing of the Lord. But intoxication, which does control its subjects, has a word phrase in the midst of that, the word toxic, doesn't it? Poison. Not only do I have to be careful with the things that create a headache and a, and a, and a sour stomach in the events of the world, I then cannot be the one who lets the influences or the strides or the way that the world conducts itself poison my mind either. And Jesus is saying, pay attention to where you are. Don't let this world intoxicate you and poison you with its influence. This world has nothing to offer you, but you have everything to offer it. Amen. Everything. The church, we, we want to get to a place like the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter number 1, when he says, I've longed to come to you, brethren, that I may impart some spiritual gift unto you. That's significant, isn't it? That's a man who knew what he had. He's talking to a body of believers already, and he knew that he had something to give away to them. We've got to learn how to think that way. That when we're around the people of God or we're walking in this world, we literally have something of great value, a wellspring of life and blessing, what wells up in us is a river of living water, and we have something of eternal significance to impart to the people we come in contact with. He also says these words in that same passage. You know why I want to impart this spiritual gift to you? He says, so that I might have fruit among you. You know why he wanted fruit among the people of God? Because when there's fruit, God is what? Glorified, amen? So it ought to be our desire to plant the seeds of eternal wisdom and grace, let our lives be seasoned with salt so that we'll have fruit among people all over because when there's fruitfulness, there is glory given unto God and not be poisoned by this world. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, listen. Now, we was talking outside about turkey hunting and we talked about fishing and we talked about this. Your grandchildren or your children or your friends and neighbors, listen, your grandchildren ought, to be, ought not to be able to tell me more about planting a garden and growing tomatoes or knowing how to catch white, purse or kill a good, white perch or kill a good gobbler. They ought to be able to tell me that you've taught them how to win somebody to Jesus. Amen? Let me ask you, mamas, have you taught your daughters how to get the best bargains and the best deals? more than you've invested your life in them and teaching them the Word of God and how to be a holy subject unto the Lord, to be able to carry His message unto the world. 
Now listen, this is what Jesus is teaching us here. Pay attention to where you are. If you're not careful, you'll be poisoned by the influence of this world. You'll get caught up in the flow of your culture and you'll teach them what everybody else is teaching their children to do. And folks, we are, we are pilgrims and sonajors passing through. We need to learn that our homeland is in glory. This world don't have much to offer me and I've been planted here to bring glory to God. Amen. Don't be poisoned. And then he uses another word, a phrase. If you look in your scriptures, I believe he says surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. The word cares of this life means the distractions, the distractions that invite our attention or the distractions that solicit our attentions, the attractions of this old world, this distractions that just draw us in and pull us away from being single-minded and focused on what God set us apart for. How many of you feel like there's times in your life that you get really distracted and moved off course and not focused on what God set us apart for? If we'd be honest, we could all say that that's where we are. Definitely that can be. What God wants us to be is single-minded upon Him. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6? He said, look, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Now, we could all take a warning in that, amen? Don't worry about how you're going to be taken care of and be clothed. Look, the heathen, the world worries about those things. God gives them common grace. He takes care of them too. It rains on the just and the unjust. Don't let your mind be consumed with thinkings that will draw your attention away from your focus, but be consumed with thinking on those things which bring pleasure and delight unto the Lord. You know, 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 9 says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own peculiar people to declare the praises of God. We who, used to, who, who, who knew who were in darkness but now live in the light, we had no mercy but now have obtained mercy. That's a paraphrase of it, but I want to focus in for a moment on declaring the praises of Him. You know what that word means? It's, it doesn't mean that we, that we are declaring praises unto Him, though we are called to do that. Amen? It's saying that our lives will be a vessel that can declare the things that God praises, that God finds pleasure in, that God delights in. And isn't that a wonderful thing that God would take you and He would take me? Knowing who you are and I know who I am, that He can do such a work in us that we can display before a world around us the things that God literally praises and finds pleasure in. That's an amazing thing. See, but you've got to be fit for this. You've got to be able to stand entirely deserving to stand for the Lord. And I believe sometimes, and I believe churches find ourselves here where we really are not entirely deserving to represent Him because we've let too many things distract us. And if there's any place on earth that needs to know their mission, 
and needs to know what God set them apart for. It's the house or the people of the living God. Amen. Notice what our passage says. Verse 35. For as a snare it shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray. Always that you may be accounted worthy to escape or to run from all these things that shall come to pass and stand before or, or stand for the Son of Man. That word accounted worthy is the word that means deemed entirely deserving, fit. And I don't think that could be any more precious thought on our minds tonight than being in that place or that position where I am deemed before the mercy of God to be entirely deserving to stand as an ambassador and a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand before Him. To stand in the gap and represent as an authentic representation the King of kings and Lord of lords. You say, Brother Nick, I ain't worthy to do that. Well, none of us in and of ourselves are worthy, but the blood, the life, the sacrifice, the cross, the aim, the purpose of Calvary makes us worthy. Amen? You see, that's, that's what grace is. If you've got a pen, I, I, I would encourage you to write this down. I'm going to give you a definition of grace, how I define grace. Grace is God cheerfully and delightfully. God cheerfully and delightfully gratifying himself. Grace is God cheerfully and delightfully gratifying himself for himself. In the face of deserved wrath. How many would you agree we deserve the wrath of God more than the grace of God? We really do. But because God cheerfully and delightfully gratified Himself for Himself in the face of the deserved wrath of God all because of Jesus. And when we are positioned with a focus upon what He's called us to do, we can stand fit before the throne of God as a vessel that He can use to accomplish His work. We will be counted worthy to do what? To run away from these things. You know what that means? That means we will be enabled and we will be empowered to be fit to run away from the surfeiting, from the drunkenness, from the cares of this life, we will be supernaturally enabled and empowered to be protected from these things to run away from so that we can stand for Him in these days. Now, isn't that a wonderful thought? How many of you want to be able to run away from these things? How many of you find that it's hard to run away from them at times? There's something in our old nature that likes to hear a, a good word of gossip. Everybody said. Be honest. 
Don't you still envy things and still have jealousies that want to rise up within you? Even when God's blessing someone's life, there's a sense that you, you are thankful for that at times, but there's some times too where there's a sense of jealousy. You want some of that as well, amen? And we've got to be careful and guard ourselves so that we can stand in the position, listen, that we prepare our hearts in the humility of God because God giveth more grace to the humble. And that's where we need to live, in humility. Now, humble people that walk with God are not always seen by other people as being humble. Do you know that? Think about Moses for an example. The Bible says that Moses was such a humble and meek man, there was no one on the face of the earth like him. But all the people of Israel had trouble with him, didn't they? They didn't like him. You know what they called Moses? They said, matter of fact, his own brother and sister and the whole leaders, they said, Moses, you think you're more holy than everybody else. You think you're better than the rest of us. You think you're more special than the rest of us. But God described him as being the most humble man on the face of the earth. So when humble people stand before a holy God, knowing who they are in Him and what He set them apart for, may, may often be those who are not humble but prideful will look at them as being these boastful, arrogant, brash type of people. The key is, is I just need to humble myself before God and let Him pour more grace upon me so that I can stand up for Him today to do what He's called me to do. As Brother Mike and I was talking last night, as Brother Manley Beasley, he said, has quoted these things, that our flesh learns how to do the things of God. Our flesh learns how to preach. Our flesh knows how to talk about things that, that, that sound godly or sound religious. And we cannot get to that place where we let our flesh be the one that dictates how we live and we look religious. Because the Bible teaches us pure and undefiled religion is, is, is three things. What is it? James, pure and undefiled religion is what? Visiting who? The orphans and the widows, but never forget this, remaining unspotted from the world. Remaining unspotted from the world. How many of you got neighbors that are not believers? Raise your hand. People that live around you that that are not believers. Is there any difference about your family and their family? Is there any marks of difference? How many of you work with unbelievers? Raise your hand. How many of us go to school with unbelievers? How many of us just live in a world of unbelievers? Is there much difference between us and them? If there's not a lot of difference in how we conduct our way of living, we have not remained unspotted, amen? We've been spotted by them. And this is what Jesus our Lord and Savior, the one who loves us more than anyone else could love us, says pay attention to yourself. Watch where you are and the way you think. 
don't let the world corrupt you. You are to be the instrument that I use to change the world. Don't let the world's influence poison your thinking. You think on things which are true and holy and noble and honest. And don't let what the world runs after seize your heart and you start running after it as well. Because as Jesus told the Pharisees, those things which men highly exalt and esteem, prize and make a priority for, money, is an abomination in the sight of God. So tonight, I want to just give you a few things in this invitation some practical steps to help you cultivate and nurture a life of remaining fit before the Lord. Number one, you need to live a lifestyle of intimacy before God. How many of you wake up morning unto morning and God raises you up and brings you into the secret place where you get to spend fellowship time with Him and open up His Word? And that's the most precious part in the time of your day. If, if you've lived that away, praise be unto God. If you're not, I encourage you and invite you to find a way that you can seek the face of God, whatever early is to you. Some of you may be 4.30. Some of you may be 2 o'clock in the morning. Some of you, like today, that when you was out of school, it might have been 11 o'clock a.m. Whenever you wake up, whatever time of the day it is, first off, when you're fresh, Open up God's Word and start praying and talking with Him and get in and let God speak to your heart. Amen? You do that every day. You make that a priority. And you protect that more than anything you protect in your life, that secret place of intimacy with God. And what He gives you, involve it into your life. Whatever He speaks to you, you involve it into your life. You practice it. Number two, involve it in your life. It's not enough to be a hearer of the Word. We must be what? Doers. What God gives us, He wants us to live it out. Live it out. Find a way to live it out. The third thing is become an intercessor. Because God spoke something to you, but it wasn't just for you. Amen? He wants you to have an influence on the people He puts you around throughout a given day. So you start interceding. Even people you don't even know you're going to come in contact with, you begin to pray for God to use you to have an impact on their life. And, and number four, whatever He gives you that you involve and you're interceding for, you invest it into somebody's life. You want to know how to remember Scripture? Give it away, amen? You give it away, it shall come back to you good measure. If you give away judgment, guess what's going to come back? You give away mercy, guess what's going to come back? You give away love, guess what's going to come back? You give away your finances, guess what's going to come back? You give away truth, you'll never be without truth. It's always going to come back. And if you want to remember what God gives you in the secret place, go give it away to somebody. Invest it in their life. And you know the best people to invest it with, to start with? Your family, amen? Husbands, talk with your wife about what God's talked with you about in the secret place. Wives, talk with your husband about what God showed you. Talk with your children. It's good for a whole church to be reading the same thing at the same time. I believe that. I watched it in my own fellowship. We would read through books together as a church. Right now as a family, we're reading through 1 Corinthians. Today we read 1 Corinthians 9. So we're all on the same page. We can all talk about the same things 
and what we're talking about and sharing with one another, we get to keep. And we get to sow it into one another's lives. And folks, if we can't grow together as a family, how in the world are we going to touch this world for the glory of God? We're not. But when you invested in them, insist that they know where it came from. You don't act like you got this on your own. Amen. See, God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. You insist that they know who's planted something in you, who has impregnated you with the Word of God. Insist that they know, thus saith the Lord. Tell them where it came from, who gave it to you, and how much you value it. I'm telling you, these are ways that you can cultivate this in your life, and God will use you tremendously. Insist that they know. And then number six, Invite them to walk with the God whom you're walking with. Don't ever fail to invite them to come follow him as well. Invite them. Because it really won't be a problem. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you what? A fisher's of men. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. And then number seven. Indulge yourself in the things that bring praise and glory to the name of the Lord. Think about, think on, meditate on the Word of God. Those things which are true and praiseworthy and worthy of honor. It is my heartbeat, it is what I desire that my life, my family's life, the life of your church, where you are, your family, would remain well-deserving to run away from these things so that we can stand fit and as champions in these days for the Lord of glory and not let this world spot us with its influence. Is it easy? Is it difficult? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But is it complicated? It's a matter of just being and living in a state of repentance before the Lord each and every day. So in this invitation tonight, that's what I invite you to do. I invite you to step out and just respond to the Lord with a heart of repentance before Him. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, tonight I encourage you to repent so that you can have a life song. So that you can say, I was once blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I live. And that he becomes our life song. Repent of sin and come to Jesus tonight. And for the rest of us that are his, as he would say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come ye, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened, weighed down, and I shall give you rest for your soul. Look unto me. Look unto Jesus. And let him bless your life. Would you stand with me tonight? Would you pray with me? Father, I believe with all my heart that you have 
spoken to my heart, and I believe you have spoken to your people tonight. And I believe this word, though it was written thousands of years ago, is still written for us tonight. That, God, you want us to pay attention to where we are. You want us to prepare our hearts for your work in our lives and to be positioned in humility so that you can bless us with more grace. God, help East Philadelphia Baptist Church, help us together tonight to be fit to run away from these things to be dangerously strong for your truth on this earth. Grant repentance tonight. Loosen the bonds in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have thought in your mind that none of these things have moved me. I haven't paid any attention to them. They don't bother me whatsoever. But you're not passionate about seeing people rescued by the grace of God. Why I say that is that you're not going out yourself with a purposeful intent to preach the gospel. Now we've got to guard that. That's just as dangerous. I think about the rich man in Lazarus. You know the rich man, it says that he fared sumptuously every day. That word fair sumptuously means that he was in a good state of mind every day. He had no care, no worry. Everything was all right in his life. It didn't even bother him that a, that a poor beggar was laid at his gate who needed to be touched, needed to be healed. That didn't affect him either. Now we know the consequence of the rich man, that he died and he found his place in hell. So it's just as dangerous as being in such a state of mind that the world doesn't affect you at all to the point that it doesn't influence your life nor are you burdened for it to carry a message to it. There's danger on both sides.